Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. We are in Ephesians, so if you want to go ahead and turn there. We started the series last, last Wednesday, and today we will continue it. So last week I thought, I thought, man, that was, I thought that was a good time of worship in the Word last week. I, I don't know if you guys know this. I hope that you do, and if you don't, let me tell you, the teacher always learns more. Did you know that? Because I have to, I have to actually dig into the information. I have to spend time in prayer, and man, that's. I'm really looking forward to this series because I know Paul had a passion for the Ephesian people and he wanted them to know and understand the love that God has for them. And I'm looking forward to, as I'm going to say today, letting my imagination run wild with the idea that God loves me. Amen. And I hope that you walk in that anticipation too. Um, but so last week we, we started this and we started with the mystery of the gospel that is, that we were chosen, we've been redeemed, we have an inheritance in eternity, and in that inheritance, we've been given a down payment to prove that that inheritance belongs to us, which is the sealing of the Holy Spirit in us. It's by the Spirit that we know we belong to God. Amen? And so we talked about that, and I titled that lesson last week, The Mystery of the Gospel on Purpose, because that's a mystery to me. It's, a, it's an incredible mystery. You can boil down truth after truth after truth to the smallest common denominator, like we spoke, I think I spoke with this last week, to where you say, yeah, but why, yeah, but why, yeah, but why, and then ultimately you, get, you just get to a place where you go, because that's just how it is. That's our faith statement. We can't understand the, the mind of God. We can't understand the capacity for love that He has, but we can strive to understand it Amen? We should, in fact, strive to understand it. But at the end of the day, I still have to go, I just believe that because the Bible says it's true. Because I can't prove it until I get to eternity. I just have to walk in faith in it. And so it's a mystery. But praise God, God gave us His Holy Spirit to be able to stand in that faith. Amen? All right to this week because he talked about the gospel. And remember, it's us. We take texts out of the overall, the larger text, and we build sermons around them, oftentimes without considering the surrounding text. And so what is the next thing he has to say, and why does he say it? So he just talked about the mystery of the gospel, and now he's going and saying, listen, I get that you don't understand it. I, there's some things we just can't wrap our mind around. But you have accepted it in faith. And I'm going to pray for you that you get greater and greater understanding. That's what Paul's talking about in the next, the next series of verses we're going to discuss today from Ephesians 15 through 23. Paul says this in verse 15. He said, For this reason too, which means because I know you have received the gift of salvation, because he had just got done talking about all of that, 
Because I know that you've accepted the gift of salvation, having heard of the faith in the Lord that exists among you and the love you have for the saints. So he's saying, I know that you've accepted the truth, the gospel. And I see the inner workings of your faith and the love that you have for one another. Isn't that beautiful? This should be us. My, my first question today is, what is our faith and what is our love proven to a lost and dying world? What is it proving to each other? The Bible says we can't, we can't please God without faith. Did you know that? It's impossible to please God without faith. Because it's by faith, through faith, by grace, that we have salvation in the first place. So we can't come to a place where we are anything but in contention with God until we're willing to walk in faith the truth of the gospel. And so he says, I, I see your faith. And I see the product of your faith, which is love. Because the Bible says that we will, they will know who you are by your love for one another. They'll know your disciples by your love for one another. Did you know that you are a letter that someone else is reading, even when you don't know they're reading you? If you walk around and treat each other crazy and you talk about each other behind their back and you don't walk in unity that we've talked about, you're essentially saying this letter contradicts the truth that I declare when I accept the, the gospel. So first, Paul acknowledges him, them. He says, I understand that you're saved. I praise God that you've accepted the mystery of the, the gospel. And having faith and seeing it and hearing about it, I recognize that you have love for one another. Man, I, we could teach on this one verse, but I've got a bunch of stuff to do today. The, the question really is, is what faith are we demonstrating? What love are we demonstrating? I want people to look at me, and it might be arrogant. I hope it isn't. I don't think it is. I think it's God glorifying and saying, Jim Kubik, I don't care who he used to be, is a man of faith. That he loves people with a love I don't even understand. But not just Jim Kubik, all of you. That's my prayer for all of you. Because that's when the church becomes the church. It's impossible for the church to be everything that God calls the church to be without faith which unifies us and love for one another which is a product of that unity. All right. So that's just the lead-in. He's just super excited that they're actually evidencing what they say they believe. In verse 16 he says, Do not, because of this, do not cease giving thanks for you. I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And so because of their faith, because of the proclamation of their faith, because of the love demonstrated, because of the faith in them, he says, I never stop thanking God for you. And then he starts talking. He said, but you know what? I also pray for you all the time. Anybody that says they love you is not willing to pray for you doesn't love you. I'm going to let that marinate a minute. By the same token, if you tell someone you love them and aren't willing to pray for them, you don't love them either. 
You don't know what they did to me. I don't care what they did to you. Love them proves your love for them. Praying for them proves your love for them. So anyway, and then he starts talking about this prayer that he's praying. Verse 17 through 23 reads like this. This is his prayer. That the Lord God, that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Y'all familiar with that text? Like I pray almost every service open with this text. I'm super excited about teaching this piece because I'm just because I talk about it all the time. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the work of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And then so in verse 20, he starts going back into teaching why we have the right to come to him in prayer in the first place, which he brought about in Christ when we raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things... Everybody say all things. In subjection under his feet and gave him head over what? All things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who feels all in all. And so essentially this prayer that Paul prays has three pieces to it. Verses 17, verse 18, and verse 19. Verse 17, Paul prays for wisdom and revelation. that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I, I, I really, really just want to jump off in the wisdom and revelation piece. But I can't. Because that's not where Paul started. He gave honor where honor was due. He gave credit where credit was due first. He says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, He acknowledges God first. Do you know why Paul's able to make prayer on behalf of the Ephesian church? While we, while we are able to pray? Why people are able to pray for us? Because God, through Jesus Christ, for the purpose of His own glory, gave us access to His throne room. By the work of Jesus. By the work of Jesus. I'm going to say it again. By the work of Jesus. Were it not for the life, the death, the cross, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ Jesus, we would have no hope and no right to come to a divine God and make requests of any kind. Do you hear me? Some of y'all looking at me crazy. I want you... We have to start the way Jesus started his. The way Pastor Rick always comes up here. Our Father who art in heaven, holy be thy name. We spend so much time talking at God without first acknowledging who God is. Anybody ever been guilty of that? You run to your prayer closet and say, God, I need this, 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 and this. Boom, and then I'm out. 
I don't acknowledge why I have a right to talk to you in the first place. I don't tell him how much I love him. I don't show him the level of expectation and why I, why I feel confident in having it. I don't take the time to hear him answer me back. I just run to my prayer closet or wherever it is I go, right in my car, situation I'm in, and say, Lord, I need this, 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 and this, and I need it right now. And we might throw in a, in a Jesus name. But we have to start where Paul starts. Reverential prayer recognizes who we are praying to and why we have a right to pray at all. Do you know God doesn't have to talk to you? Just so y'all know, we're in a prayer series on Sundays. It's actually a non-series series. If you've been around, you know what I'm talking about. I would, don't be surprised if you see this sermon on that one of these Sundays again. So take the notes you can, and I'll elaborate later. But we have to start here in this truth. Hebrews 14, 15, and 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, that's Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Because we have a high priest who functions beautifully, not as the Old Testament high priest, but in a more perfect priestly manner, we have the right, therefore, to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. I'm, I'm being enthusiastic on purpose because I am super excited. If I don't hit you, if, I, if you don't hear anything else today, hear me say that through Christ Jesus and him being our high priest, we have the right to walk with confidence into the throne room of grace, the king's palace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Amen. How many of you guys have been in a time of need? Might be in a time of need right now. Let me tell you, the gates of the king's throne room are wide open for those who have believed, for those who have declared Jesus Christ, who can count on the intercessory work of Jesus now, him acting as your high priest. You can walk in there right now with confidence in your prayers and ask God according to his will, whatever it is your heart desires, as long as it lines up with his desires, which is his will, and expect to receive it because of Jesus. Man, that's good. Why? Because I know I don't deserve it. But Jesus said, I don't care about that. I've made you worthy. I've redeemed you. I've justified you. I paid the debt that you owed. Open these doors. My brother's outside. Boy. <laughs> amen. So I, I say amen myself. High five myself. But we get to draw near with confidence. That doesn't mean arrogantly. That means without, without thinking that He won't hear us. With an assurance that He hears us. With an assurance that we have a right to be there. Amen? I've never walked into a king's throne room before, but I imagine it's a little intimidating. See all the grandeur and the glory and the magnificence and the beauty, the 
all the stuff that has to be done, the way you talk to the king, the way you approach the king with your head down, hand out, whatever it is that king requires of you. My pastor said he went to, I want to say Africa, and got to meet one of the kings to one of the countries in Africa. And they took either two or three days to learn the customs of the throne room before they were allowed to go in because they couldn't approach the king incorrectly. Man, if we could show us that much reverence to God, we'd be a lot better off. But praise God, we don't have to be intimidated. We can walk in confidence. Golly, that's good. I got to get to this teaching, man. But then Paul says this. Then he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Notice he says that he give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Would you look at your Bible? Is that S capitalized or uncapitalized? It's not capitalized, is it? You know why? Because he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in them already. Why would he be praying that they get the Holy Spirit? They already have the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit. They're Spirit-filled believers. The Church of Ephesians. He is saying that God give you the Spirit or a Spirit. That means to stir up your passion. My prayer is to stir up your passion for wisdom and revelation from God. Man, God ain't telling me nothing. I pray all day. My prayers hit the ceiling. I can't get nothing accomplished. God doesn't care about me. Blah, blah, blah. That is so sad. You know what your problem probably is? You don't have a, your passion stirred up enough to walk boldly into the throne room and ask him repeatedly over and over and over again. Because if you ask, he will answer you. Sometimes that's re that requires a repetitive action. You know why? Because like when my kids were little, if they asked me for something, I didn't give it to them the first time. I may not give it to them the second time. I want to make sure they know what they want. More specifically, that they know what I want for them, and ultimately I may give it to them. Or we think that because we didn't receive a yes, we didn't get an answer from God. Let me tell you, your answer from God may not be yes. That's an American misunderstanding. I prayed in Jesus' name that God answered my prayer. Well, that's great. He did. The answer was no. Or the answer was not yet. You're not spiritually prepared for that yet. I can give you this blessing. I can give you a husband. I can give you a wife. I can give you this money that you need. I can do whatever it is. I'm capable. He's capable of all of those things. But you know what? Until you're mature enough to know how to deal with a wife, until you're mature enough to know how to have a husband, until you're mature enough to know how to deal with your finances, he's not going to give you those things because he's more worried about your holiness than your happiness. All right. I really not got into this text at all yet. But he says the spirit. Give them a spirit. Provoke desire in them. That's my prayer for you. I hope that's your prayer for me. I can't tell you how often me, and these are just the people I know, me, Pastor Rick, Pastor Leonard, our connect group leaders, and, and, and quite a few others, I know 
They just want you to grab a hold of the love that God has for you and who he is. I listen to Pastor Leonard preach. I hear listen to Pastor Rick preach. They preach differently than I do. They have a different tone, a different inflection, but they got one need, one desire in teaching. That God be glorified and you understand how much he loves you. Am I right? That their passions be stirred, that our hearts be stirred for the things of God. If we did this, if our passions aligned with God's passions, like truly, our passions, our resources, time, treasure, and talent aligned with the passions of God, perhaps, this is just a big perhaps, it's not a big perhaps, it's an actual perhaps, the vision of the house might not be limited by the resources of the house. Did you hear me? A lot of, most churches lack resources that can't keep up with the vision God has given that church because the passion of the people hasn't been stirred. And I'm not talking just about your money. I'm talking about your time and your talent and your money. You want to know why mosques are popping up all over the world like this? Because mosques, Muslims, believe in giving more than Christians do. Catholic churches popping up like this. You know why? Because Catholics have been taught to give more than we've been taught to give. It's really sad. Where is our passion? Paul wants their passion stirred, their spirit stirred. This isn't a giving message. But if our passions were stirred by what stirs the passions of God, how much differently would how much different would our world look? Amen. There wouldn't be an unsaved person in this whole town because you guys would be just wrecked trying to get to them. Every church in this town would have to double, triple, or quadruple in size because the gospel message would be so profoundly proclaimed in this city. The Spirit would overtake this city. I'm convinced of it because the power of God is in the gospel, not the deliverer. People would be saved. The houses of God would be full and overflowing. And there would be construction in this town, but all of it would be focused on the church. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Amen? All right. Anyway, Spirit, inflame your passion. But what is He wanting them to do? He's wanting to inflame their passion regarding wisdom and revelation. Pastor Leonard said something a little while ago as he was given the offertory. Right before he started praying, I wrote this down on my hand, and then that's what I was writing when I came up here. He said, I speak to you from wisdom. And then he started to pray. Does it mean that he's teaching you from his intellect? No. Paul is praying that they have wisdom, which they have every right to, because James says that if we ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to us abundantly and without reproach. Amen? But what is wisdom? We think it's information. I'm asking God for knowledge. Let me tell you, 
His wisdom is only partially knowledge. And I'm using him because we can't really grab the wisdom of God as much as we should strive and inflame our passions to. It's knowledge, yes. But it's also a life's worth of experience and a life's worth of perspective. That's what we're asking God for. We're asking God for supernatural knowledge, transcendent, overarching, 30,000-foot view perspective of our situation. Because I can't see past that wall, but God sees into the next week. And His eternal, pers- His, His eternal experience. I guarantee you there is nothing you're dealing with right now or will ever deal with in your life that God hasn't had to deal with in the life of somebody millennia before you were born. So he's saying, man, my prayer is that your passions be inflamed to have God's knowledge, God's perspective, and God's experience so that you'll know Him. Let your imagination explode with God. Because when we ask for wisdom, there's, there's, there's a product of that wisdom. You know what the product of that wisdom is? Revelation. That revelation doesn't come from us. It comes through us from God. Anything I might learn new about God, I don't have the ability in my flesh to know. I can only know spiritual things because of the Spirit in me. The Spirit is the one who teaches me. I teach you, but the Spirit ought to confirm in you what's being said to you. And you should also go look what I'm saying up or to you up in your Bible. Amen? And then revelation happens. There's experience, there's perspective, there's knowledge that God wants to pour out on you abundantly and without being mad about. So that we can have revelation. To what end? So that we can know Him. What do you know of Him? That's the question. And it's a question I want you to go to bed with tonight. What do you know of Him? Do you know of Him only the things that I've taught you? Because if the only thing that you know of Him are the things I've taught you, you are lacking. I have access to two, maybe three hours of your whole week. The Holy Spirit living inside of you wants to reveal God to you every minute of the day. All I'm doing is just saying, this is what the Word says. You should be living in what the Word says, taught by the Spirit of God regarding what the Word says, every day, every minute of your life, so that we can know Him, know that He is omnipotent. Let me tell you. We serve a God that is omnipotent, all-powerful. Don't let these big spiritual Christian words get, get lost in your mind. You're worried about the problem that you have, but you serve a God who's capable of making the sun stand still in the sky. You're worried about the people coming against you. 
but you serve a God who sent an angel to slay an army at night so that you wouldn't have to even raise your hand so that a single arrow wouldn't fly into your house? Why do you worry? You worry because you haven't prayed for wisdom and haven't received revelation of how powerful God is. My voice gets super high when I get excited, apparently. But he's not just omnipotent. Omnipotent. He's omniscient, which means he knows all things. He knows you. I'm trying to build some comfort in you. I look at that grandboy of mine, and I hold him, and I study that boy. I mean, I study that boy. I look at every hair on his head. I check his skin, make sure there's no blemish on it or scratch or bruise. I make sure that he's dressed as, best, as well as we can dress him, that he's fed everything that he needs, that he is provided for in every imaginable and conceivable way. There's nothing about him that I don't know. And God's more perfect father than I am a grandfather. Take comfort in the fact that God's powerful enough to take care of you and intimate enough with you to want to. Amen? But he's not just omnipotent. He's not just um, omniscient. He's omnipresent. Which means that power, that intimacy, goes everywhere you go. Because everywhere you go, he's already there. Man. How would that change your life if you could truly grab a hold of that? How more boldly would you walk into what you thought dangerous yesterday if you could grab a hold of that? How much more willing would you be, will, be to let go of even your own life if you knew God held your life in the palm of His hand? It's a game changer, man. Paul's saying, listen, you're saved. He talked about the mystery of the gospel last week. Today... Let me tell you, I am praying for your wisdom and revelation so that you might be comforted, so that you might be empowered, so that you might be intimate, so that you may understand he has a transcendent view of you, that he is your peace, he is your protector, he is your provision. He is, as Pastor Leonard said, your strong tower, your shield, your buckler, the banner that waves over you in times of trouble. He is all of these things all at the same time, and he knows your name. Ooh, man, all because Jesus. But that's not the only thing he prayed for. Although that's the, this is the thing I really wanted to get across to you because the rest of these are products of that. Paul prays they be enlightened about their hope. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. To be enlightened is to be well informed. He's saying, listen man, I pray that your eyes of your heart be well informed about the hope that you have. Your eyes. You think He used His eyes for a reason? Because he wants to make sure we're focusing on the right things. What are you focused on? Regardless of your life circumstance, let me ask you, 
Are you focused on eternal things, on the hope of your calling and the hope of glory? That's what we should be focusing on. Paul talked this, talked about this his whole life, his whole Christian life. Strive for the prize. Push, run the race so as to win. Don't get entangled by the affairs of the world. Be in the world, but not of the world. On and on and on. He said, keep one thing in mind, that this life isn't going to last that long. In 10,000 years from now, what happened to you today, you're not even going to remember anyway. The Bible says that your life is but a vapor. That you're here today, gone tomorrow. That you came from the dirt, you're going to return back to it. But there's a beautiful hope that we have. That's what we need to be focused on. Paul's saying, I pray that you understand and keep focused, that you're fully informed about your, your hope. I, went to, I attended a men's Bible study years ago, probably 10, 15 years ago now. And we were talking about something, and somebody brought up heaven. And... One of the guys says, oh, I don't even think about heaven, man. I just keep my eye on the prize. And I'm all, that's the, like I was just saved. I looked at this guy, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. What do you think the prize is? How do we not think about heaven? How do we not celebrate heaven? How do we not allow our imaginations to run with the beauty, magnificence, peace, tranquility, the love of heaven? That's the prize. Several years ago, I, I was writing a, a funeral for someone, and I, I knew the guy wasn't saved. And if you have a loved one that passes away, I can't preach them into heaven. I wish I could. I would, but I can't. But I can make sure that the people that are hearing understand that God still there's, God loves them. And I told them this. We should weep for the man who thinks that his life in Lebanon is more valuable than his life in eternity. This life doesn't matter. Everything is going away. Your barns, your barns filled with barn stuff. What happens if your soul's required of you today? Have you lived your life focused on the hope of your calling, the hope of glory? I hope so. That's what Paul's praying. You're already saved. Keep your focus right. Amen? And then finally, he says this. Paul prays for their, for their awareness of His power. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. He says, man, I want you to know how powerful the God is that you serve. The surpassing, that means the, the overarching, the, the move beyond incomprehensible ability that God has and our inability to grab a hold of it. I want you to just let your imagination wander. You guys heard me use that phrase several times and I take the time to, when I say imagination it's another way of saying let me put it spiritually for you meditate when I'm imagining what God's like 
I imagine some point in my future sitting at his feet or laying on my face or standing with my hands raised in the air, tears streaming down my face. I've I've heard people say, man, I don't really want to go to heaven because all they're going to do is pray all and and sing all of eternity. Man, if that's all we got to do, that's good for me. I don't think it's all we got to do. But if it was, the fact that we get to be in the presence of God to do it is beautiful. He is powerful enough to keep us. He is powerful enough to save us. He's powerful enough to ensure that we are with Him for all days, for eternity. Amen? But what kind of power specifically is Paul talking about? We see in verse 20, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. So he says, listen, man, I want you to understand his power so that you might keep your eye focused on your hope because he's powerful enough to have raised Jesus from the dead and Jesus is the first fruits. He's powerful enough to raise you from the dead. As a matter of fact, Jesus being raised first is the evidence that you will be too. Amen? And then the the last few verses, he talks about... Because we are in Christ, we have these truths to hold on to. So that's my prayer for you. My prayer is that you have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. But not just for the sake of spiritual revelation, but so that you might know Him. So that in knowing Him, you might be focused on Him. So that being focused on Him, you can ensure that by His power you will one day be raised and spend eternity with Him. Not because of your own work, but because of the work that God performed on your behalf.